Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Standing in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He done it at last. Greg Norman. to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. Hello everybody and welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 39. Yes, you can tell already we've lost our uh, perhaps key contributor, Andy Ma, on the sidelines, I believe, as I introduce my co-host today, Martin Blake, and of course the inimitable Mike Clayton, uh, that Andy might have suffered, boys, a, a bit of postmaster's letdown. Well, I'm filling in for him, Hazy, and uh, I suppose I should feel sorry for him, but uh, I don't really because this could be a big career moment for me. I'm like, what about the front bar this week? Am I up for that? Or hey, You've got to be a chance. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. That's a funny show, that. It is. I heard they were contemplating Limo, so if you can perhaps... Well, we know get... what you think about Limo, so... <laughs> if you can get in in front of Limo, maybe you no, are... This, so... this could be a big moment for me. Like, well, Andy, I mean, he, he works a lot, doesn't he? I mean, he's got the radio show, he's got the front bar, he's got this famous podcast, I mean... About four other podcasts. No wonder he's run out of voice. Is yeah. that what's happened to him? He's actually... He's not unwell, apparently, but he's literally lost his voice. He cannot speak, feels 100%, just minus a voice, which I know that... that Sorry, Andy, but a lot of people are probably happy with that. <laughs> no, no, that's that's very unfair. Clates, welcome. Thanks, Hazy. Oh, no, this has um, been a, a, a long time coming. This is one of our favourite segments is Ask Us Anything, really. It's Ask Us ask Clates Anything because Blakey and I will just We're sit just back stepping and aside, yeah, just let Clates have the reins for a while. For those who were on Twitter the other night when we actually launched this segment, Ask Us Anything, this week and encouraged everyone to, to ring in or to write in and ask us anything about the game, great game of golf, Clates suddenly decided he'd uh, start answering questions on Twitter on, on Monday night. It was a phenomenal achievement, Clates. Yeah, well, it probably wasn't a great idea anyway. <laughs> at least there's no question about dropping out of Stanfield Devitts here, which is a... It's a step up. That's my pet hate. There was a players meeting in America once and Greg Norman stood up and suggested that tour players be given drops out of Sandfield Devitts. And Fred Couples stood up and said, hey, Greg, he said, we've all got our names on our bag. He said, put it back in your stance and punch it out. <laughs> well, we're going to try and punch out of a few of the holes that the listeners have created for us today. And you're, you're front and centre, Clates. We're going to do that probably in segment two. Uh, so just, you know, steal yourself, brace yourself, bring your best, uh, best, put your best foot forward, perhaps, in the second segment. But first of all, just a couple of uh, key matters in golf this week. We're, we're back. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning into uh, our podcast last week. Andy and I did from Augusta National. Um, and the week before, obviously, we were there calling it for SEN in particular in Melbourne and on a few live streams. I It was an amazing uh, time to be there. And I think it'll go down as one of the more memorable masters, um, especially you know in a non-Australian sense. It had everything pretty much going for it. Blakey, I'd be interested just in the wash-up to some of the things that you thought about uh, what happened at Augusta National. Yeah, well, uh, Patrick Reed's a, 
you know, he's whatever you think about him, he's interesting, isn't he? He's he's quite a good player to watch. He shapes the ball Very a good lot. Player. Um, he's tough as nails, uh, and people don't like him. So he's interesting in every way. Um, Clates, I'd be interested to know what you thought about the Alan Shipnuck article was written the day that he won the Masters, which uh, where Alan Shipnuck, who's a, a very well-known American journalist, works for golf.com, and I'd urge our listeners to see if they can grab this article. He, he went and spoke to the parents of Patrick Reed, who, of course, live in Augusta, within about two k's of the course, I believe. And I, I looked at that, and it, it was a very well-constructed article, I thought. And I, you know, to me, that was good journalism. That was just... Uh, they, they were having a, a Masters party uh, with a lot of their friends over, and they were watching their son win the green jacket, but they weren't allowed to go to the course. So it, it's quite extraordinary. So to me, I reckon just go to the heart of the matter, deal with it in a sensitive and and sensible way. Uh, it is what it is, and I thought it was great, but a few people thought it was a horrible article because um, it kind of downplayed his achievement. That that was you know what some people thought, particularly on Twitter. Yeah, I thought it was a perfectly sensible. I didn't see why there was a problem at all writing that article. But well, the interesting thing I thought came out of it was they'd gone to his parents had gone to watch him at the Open at at US Pinehurst. Open. Yep. And I think his wife had complained they were there, and the USJ had them removed from the course. I mean, how can that happen? How can you remove someone from a golf course? Yeah, on I what mean, basis? What's, what's that about? I think your claim was that she was that they were off-putting to his chances. Well, that doesn't. Well, go, go watch someone else. But how can you take them off the golf course? I mean, it's, it's a mm. kind of free world, and they bought a ticket. And how yeah, can you, how can you get someone? You can maybe ask them to leave, but I'm not sure how you could force them to leave. Well, That's I think right. the USGA would maintain control over all all ticketed people. They they could ask you to leave for whatever reason is unjust or or just as it may appear to the rest of the world. If you well, bought, being, if being you bought a the, ticket, you bought a ticket. Being you? in the states, it'd be interesting if they took some legal action over that. It's one they didn't sue over it because uh, <laughs> you know if they weren't using a mobile phone or causing a disturbance, then you know. So Andy and I copped a bit of stick from a few quarters about um, you know highlighting uh, the the plight, the personal plight. Of Patrick Reed, um, perhaps to a greater extent than other media outlets did during the call and, and after the call, subsequently in the podcast, um, I'm interested to know what you think. You two both think about how CBS handled it, which was I'm not going to say that they were told that they couldn't, but you might want to go there. But there was no mention of the drama unfolding at all, and I think that's um, it's, it's a big hole in a journalistic sense that you ignore one of the key stories developing on the day of a, of a major championship. Yeah, journalistically, you ha- you have to mention it. It's part part of the deal. Uh, it's his greatest moment as a player, and his parents aren't there. And the whole build up, the 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 whole uh, the, the shunning of him by by other pro players because of the you know maybe he was a uh, he was involved in some cheating earlier in his career, or that was the allegation. You know, um, it has to be mentioned. But CBS is not journalism at the Masters. CBS is a, they're cheerleaders for the, for Augusta, and they they have a one year contract. And if they say the wrong thing, they're out, and yeah. which is the threat. So there's never anything. No one ever says a critical word of anything at Augusta. No, yeah. you know, there's not one hint of from the commentators, even for golf shots. Mm. You, know, you you'll never hear anyone say, "Well, he choked there, or that was a terrible shot," or you know, it was just. It, it's all very squeaky clean and very as yeah. they like it, and. No one was ever going to bring up the family thing. I mean, it was just the skeleton in the closet, really. But do you I, like that, Clay? Or no? 
Well, no, it's you know, I mean, they're, they're the ones who would all be supporting the right of the First Amendment in America, but when it comes to you know, own torment, they 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 want it strictly controlled. And, mm. You know, it's, it's Peter Thompson said it's the greatest con job in sports. But uh, look, the Masters is a great event, but I, mean, I think Bobby Jones would be horrified to think that people were putting it on the same level as the either the U.S. Open or the British Open or the Open Championship. Well, it was originally called the Augusta Invitational yeah. Tournament, wasn't it? But, and, and he hated the, or originally hated and de- declined and wouldn't let them use the expression Masters because he thought it was pretentious or, you know. But it's become like. the, almost the number one tournament in the world, which is, I think, is not its place at all. I think it's the, you think it's, the, the National Opens of America and Britain are the two and should always be the major tournaments in the world. Championships, yeah, and, I, and I disagree. I know you've written a great story. It's going up on golf.org.au this morning that contains your thoughts on that. I, I disagree. I, I think it's almost on equal footing with the Open Championship, the British Open. Well, well, it is now, but I, but I don't. I mean, I heard on the somewhere on the telecast or that this, you know, this is the best tournament in the world. Well, certainly not better than the other two. I mean, maybe it's equal, but it's not certainly not better. But yeah, you know, I think a lot of people would think it's the it's the most important tournament in the world now. Uh, I think part of it is because Clates of the Australian uh, struggle at Augusta up until Adam Scott won in twenty thirteen, and the the heartbreak of people here watching Greg fall over all the time. So that kind of added to the mystique. Uh, the other aspect I think is the, the the greatness of the course, which which adds to the quality of the tournament and the fact that it's there every year. So. Every time someone hits onto a particular mound, you know, or someone chips from the right-hand side of number 11 green, you know that that's the Larry Mize area. Or if you hit it right on number 12, you know, you know, how did Fred Couples stay up there? It kind of, the fact that it's in the same spot every year, it, it does add to it. Or detract from it. I mean, yeah. I, I, mean I think the great thing about the Open oh, the rotational. is that, that they move around. Yeah. The great thing about... The Open is it goes to all the great links in Britain, and same with the US Open. It goes to you know lots of the, not that they set them up that well necessarily, but they go to all the great courses in America. Whereas you, you're going back to the same place every year. And mm. I just think that from my perspective, if you're a 12 year old, in this instance, boy on a on a practice screen at any course in Australia, you're now looking to win the Masters. You have a, you have that three foot putt against your mate to win the Masters, and once upon a time that was the Open. And yeah, now I think well, it's a master. Well, my question is, what would Bobby Jones think of that? I think Bobby Jones, I don't think he would approve of that. I think he would say, no, they must always be the most important tournaments. Fascinating. And mm. look, we could talk around this all day. Yeah. I, I, something else, Clayton, this really riles me, so I'll be fascinated to hear your view about, and Bobby Jones would be horrified with, with what we've seen this week come out of uh, a caddy <laughs> on the uh, American US PGA Tour. Uh, now, I don't think Bobby Jones would care. About what came out of a caddy. No, that's true. But he wouldn't like the insular views of of, uh, of American players. Uh, look, the tour left Augusta National and went up the road to Hilton Head to, to play the Heritage uh, Classic. Uh, a, a, a great event in its own right. Had a, a great leaderboard for quite a while. And I think in American eyes, it, it sort of um, dwindled a little bit on the Sunday afternoon when Siwoo Kim and Satoshi Kodaira from Japan had a bit of a, a shootout and ended up going to a playoff hole, a uh, playoff. And on the third hole, Kadira actually saluted with a birdie for his first win on the USPJ Tour. Hadn't been a member previously, gets to take up membership now. Uh, he's quite a decorated player, Blake, isn't he, uh, Kadira? I think he's won right. six times in Japan, which is not an easy 
thing to no. do. There's a lot of money on the Japanese tour, and it's a, it's a very high quality tour. Yeah. So, why well, any time, which is going to get to the point of what the caddy said, that any time you're playing at home, you're a dangerous player. I mean, you play Japanese guys in Japan; they're great at home. Yeah. They're not that well. You know, they're not that great at playing overseas, but, boy, they're tough to beat at home. Which partly brings us to the point here now, uh, um, and why this is maintaining such a prominent position, perhaps, in Inside the Ropes this week, is Kip Henley, who's the looper for Austin Cook, the caddy for Austin Cook, um, who's a, a outstanding up-and-coming young player, and, and we might talk about him a little bit more in a second, but Kip Henley, who's his caddy, took to Twitter after the result and, and quote said, I've never heard of Satoshi Kodaira before this week. And obviously he's a stud with the current world rankings process. I'm sure he's top 10 in the world now. Now in face value, you think, oh, that's uh, you know, that's just a really pathetic American, typically naive thing to say. I looked into it a little bit more and what I actually think he was trying to say is it's a, it's a flaw in the process uh, in, in subsequent discussion He's referring to the flaws of the power of victory as opposed to a whole series of um, consistent results. And I thought, okay, well, I don't agree with him, but fair enough, he makes a point. Then he goes on and explains it, and it becomes this xenophobic, myopic, pathetic American dribble that we're so unfortunately accustomed to, Blakey. He, he's, he's just tipped a bucket on everything that happens outside the United States. Yeah, we, who were the players who were talking along these lines last year? I can't remember. Grayson Murray yeah. was he yeah. was the he was the whipping boy for that. The, the boy we all kicked around for that. Well, he had that ridiculous. What, what he's just talking? What did, what did he say? It's oh. Basically, the same sort of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, if you think it's so easy in Europe, go to the tour school, mate. You can go and play there over there if you want. And so, got, so it got it, hammered. Uh, look, Kadira jumped from forty six to twenty seven. Uh, by winning that tournament, he's got a, a ticket to play for two years. But I, I keep coming back to the fact that he's won six times in Japan. He was already he was in the world match play, Hazy, wasn't he? Yeah, so, and, he, and he ranked 29th at the Masters. Clearly, a player on the rise. And you know, just because American players or American fans and caddies in this instance rather uh, don't recognise him yeah. and maybe or maybe not pronounce his name very well, mm. it doesn't give an excuse to tee off on on his background. I mean, this uh, Henley went on to say. Uh, I begged my guy long ago to go over there, meaning presumably just Asia generically, mm. and spend two months mopping the floor and become a top ten player in the world. Mm. But home family and the best run, you said ran, but best run tour on earth made it a no go. Mm. So you know, tip a bucket on everything is Japan and Asia, and, and that's pathetic. And then in, in another comment, he said they play for half the money at best, and it's for a reason. The best players in the world are here. In the immortal words of someone else, case closed. End of discussion. Mm. Yeah, oh, got any thoughts, Clates? I mean, I've—it's it leaves me almost speechless that these guys can be so self-centered and and detract from the global game. They play forty-nine weeks of the year on the US PGA Tour. Yeah, what they never acknowledge is the advantage of the home ground they have every week. I mean, Americans go—they they play at home every week. That they can fly—they can fly to their home. Every weekend, if they want, after the tournament, they never acknowledge that guys from, you know, Jeff Ogilvie and Adam Scott and all the guys who play in Europe pick up from Australia, fly over to the rest of the world, buy a house, live over there, and play on the other side of the world for their whole career. They never acknowledge that they would never do that. Mm. Yeah, I heard Gary Player yeah, speak ha, about ha, this. Ha, how difficult that is to upend your whole world, live on the other side of the world in a place you probably you mightn't like. I mean. It might come as a surprise to some Americans that not everyone thinks it's the greatest country in the world. 
Yeah, I think uh, I spoke to Jeff Ogilvy one year um, when he came home to play play in Melbourne, and he's obviously in his hometown. And he said, "Oh, it's great to be home where the you know the pies are hot and the beer's cold." You know? Yeah, yeah. So you know, these Americans think that. Um, well, what they never acknowledge is that they're playing a home game every week. And perhaps if they went to Europe, and they actually wouldn't wipe the floor. I mean, go to, you know, take the American tour and stick them in Calcutta for a week. Mm. See how they go there. I mean, half of them wouldn't get to the first tee. Mm. They'd be shitting and spewing in the toilet for the whole week. But, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's not that easy playing away from home. But they, they, as I said, they've never, ever acknowledged it. That, I, I guarantee it's never entered their head. But it's actually not that easy to go the other side of the world and play professional golf. I'll attest to that. The the the, uh, the dietary requirements of being in the United States are very taxing. I've put on no diet, five, Pepsi. five kilos over there this week. It was a disgrace. I must say, last time I went to uh, Augusta National, I, I reckon I broke the world record for hot dogs in a week. <laughs> the hot dogs in the press box, unbelievable. Not to mention those big jugs of beer that they have. Oh, no, in the press box. Even in mention. the press box, they got beer. But, but yeah, got, I mean... I mean, caddies. Well, not caddies, but um, I mean, there are some great players in Europe. I mean, there, there are great players everywhere now. There are. And, and uh, phenomenal players yeah. across Asia in, and in all the different tours in Asia. Yeah. You know, China and Japan on the Asian tour. You know, the depth in Asia is greater than it's ever been. And, and it's changed a bit now. But 10 years ago, there was just, who was the better player, Ernie or Phil? And Mickelson at that point had... Never won outside of America. Maybe he'd won one tournament outside of America. And Ernie had won all over the world. He'd won at Royal Melbourne. He'd won at Wentworth. He'd won in South Africa. He'd won all over the world. Mm. Well, how can you possibly compare these guys? Yeah, I mean, no, I one agree. guy's proved himself to be a great American player. And one guy's proven himself to be a great player in America and a great player all over the world in all sorts of conditions. Not, not to say that, you know, I mean, Mickelson probably, if he'd played more overseas, he would have won more overseas. But... Well, Ernie had proved that he was a great player on every on every type of golf course. He won the Open Championship. You know, he, he won all over the place. And, and Mickelson had only won in America. Well, how can you compare these two guys? Yeah. But if you had that discussion with an American, I'd think you were crazy. And, and they wouldn't even half of them wouldn't even get the point that it takes an extra dimension of skill to be able to go to Royal Melbourne, turn up at Royal Melbourne on Tuesday, and win the tournament five days later on greens that are rock hard and fast and. And then go to Muirfield, win the Open over there, and then go to South Africa, and we're on the soft, slow Kaikou down there. And I mean, Ernie was an incredible player, and the same as Gary Player, guys like Graham Marsh, who won all, Tom Peter Thompson, won all over the world. And so I want to differentiate. I want to make sure that we know that this is Kip Henley, the, the caddy, doing this, and not Austin Cook. Austin Cook, I, I love him. He's he's uh, only missed two cuts in his debut. PGA Tour season this year from 14 starts. He won the RSM Classic, which is the one at Seabird Island the week before the Australian Open. He started on the wrong side of 400 um, in 2017 in his world ranking, and he's up to, uh, where is he now, 107, I believe, 109th. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's had a whole string of great results, and he's a leading rookie on the in the FedEx Cup points this year. And I hope very strongly that we see him at the Australian Open this year. So I, I, he'll get the chance to sort of, you know, put his... Put his uh, well, he's caddies claims to the test. Anyhow, Clates. Well, the other thing about the rankings is, aside from being in the top 50 is a big deal because you're getting the majors, who cares about the rankings anyway? I mean, I mean they, they don't control no, they, anything. Or they're, not, they're, they're a constructive... Well, they were a constructive IMG and Sony when they started out. It was, it was an advertising vehicle. So who cares about the rankings, really? I mean, the only rankings to golf pros that matter are where they are on the main list. Yeah, they can't, so the world they can't. rank is an artificial construct of. I mean, how how do you compare players who never play against each other? Yeah, 
but yeah. they do count four times a year for the majors. Well, for, for the and top fifty, four times the majors. But that's it. I mean, some of the top. I mean, and they they matter for contracts. Like players get paid according to where they're ranked. But yeah, I mean, why the world ranking is such a big deal? No one cares about them anyway. Mm. Anyway, Austin Cook, love him. Yeah, Kip Henley. Sorry, mate, but pull I, your head out of your I wouldn't date. think uh, at Jordan Speed, if we went and asked him, he wouldn't be down that track, would he? No, not yeah. at all. And the, I, the, I the trust that Austin Cook isn't either. No, no. The, it's and, it's and, a caddy in the end, at the end of the day. You know, and I, I've, I've mentioned this um, guy's name before on this podcast, Kenny Perry. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts on him were, Clates, but he's the antithesis of, of Ernie Els. I yeah. mean, refused See, to go and play the British Open. It's a disgrace. You cannot claim to be a world... A, an elite world player if you only ever play in the in the 48 continent no, you, you can claim to be an elite American player but yeah. to be a world class player by definition I, I would have thought you have to play around the world you have to, mm. you have, to have proved your, that you can pick your bag up throw it on an on a aeroplane fly across the other side of the world and play well and I mean, there were, I mean Gary Player was the ultimate I mean that amazing story he told on the pod last year about leaving Paris on Monday oh, night yeah. or Tuesday morning. Coming to Perth. Coming Paris, New York, LA, Hawaii, New Zealand, Sydney, Melbourne. Arrived at 10 o'clock at Royal Melbourne on Thursday morning oh. and won the Australian Open by seven shots. Yeah, breathtaking. I mean, that's what being a great player is. Yeah. yeah. Not flying from Kentucky to Georgia and winning a tournament. <laughs> it's a long way from Kentucky to Georgia, Clates. Yeah. Anyway, the, look, one Stop player all who... all those IHOPs on all the way and put on four pounds <laughs> on, on, the trip, on the road trip. Uh, one, one player who we can't ever accuse of, of uh, not knowing where their ports are is Brooke Henderson. And uh, before we head towards Ask Us Anything and Clates really fires up, uh, we've got to give due deference here to the Canadian 20-year-old who this week, Blakey, won her sixth LPGA Tour event at the ripe age as a set of 20. Uh, and she is one of the truly global players. Um, another phenomenal achievement. She didn't lead after the first round, but from then on was pretty much wide away. And gives it a, a huge belt with that, that unbelievable swing. I remember a couple of years ago at the Grange in Adelaide uh, watching her play in the Women's Australian Open, and we hadn't seen her before. And Hazy and I went out to watch her. We couldn't believe the club was almost touching the ground on the other side. And that, we stepped out one of her drives. I, think, I don't know whether you remember this, Hazy. Downwind on the 18th hole at Grange. Uh, might have even been in the last round of yeah, that. Yeah, it was. Open. Yeah. And uh, we, we stepped it out at 290. Yeah. So Well, she played with Sue. Oh, okay. I came for Sue that day. Yeah. They made one bogey between them. Sue, yeah. made, Sue bogeyed the 11th, shot 68. Brooks shot 67. Yeah, she's a tremendous player. And fun to watch. Interesting to watch. And Sister's a pro and carries a bag for her, so um, yeah. you know, she's she, an excellent player as well. She plays every week and goes all around the world. And, I mean, she's the ultimate. Yeah. You know, exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. You know, she goes all over the world and plays well all over the world and, and great fun to watch. Well, John Rahm, he went back to uh, his native Spain. I mean, he's based in America nowadays, of course, and went to college there, but he went back and won the Open to España as well on the weekend. So there's another guy that you know gets on the plane and... Goes and that, uh, Clates, that would always be a big deal for a player to win his national open wherever you are from. And that, that was the first time he'd won the Spanish Open. So, yeah. Yeah, great, well, it was. Great player. There wasn't, I don't think there was a Spanish Open until eight weeks ago. They, they cobbled together something on a dreadful golf course by the look of it. But, yeah. Uh, the, the amazing thing about the European Tour is I, I think I'm right in saying there's no German Open, and there hasn't been for a while. Mm. And, the, and, they, and there wasn't a Spanish Open for a few years either, which is staggering, really. Yeah, yeah it is. I don't think it's going to be the last one he wins just quietly. 
Oh, no. No, he'll be number one in the world in short time, yeah. I would think. Brett and Rumford finished tied fifth there, Hazy, which was a good result for Rummy, who's showing a bit of form at the moment. Yeah, well, he didn't have the greatest of summers uh, domestically this year, and it, you sort of you're reluctant to write Rummy off because he just seems to bob up and just prove to you that his best is still, you know, capable of doing this. He could have won that tournament actually. Didn't have a great final round and still wasn't too far off the pace of, of Johnny Rahm. Only three shots back in the final analysis. Mm. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention to you is that the Texas Open is on this week in San Antonio, and I, I just looked at this yesterday because we often talk about the Australian Open and the Australian PGA and all our tournaments about how how do we get the best players to come and play here, and clearly it's quite difficult. But um, the, the the Texas Open this week's worth $6 million bucks US, and they've got one of the top 10 players, and that's number 10, Sergio Garcia. So uh, the, the point I wanted to make was it's not just about increasing the prize money. It, ha- it has to be at the right time. So right at the moment, the players are between majors. They're, the players' championship's about three or four weeks away. They're in a lull, and most of them are taking a break. So... Uh, I just thought that that was worth mentioning that, you know, you, you can put $6 million up US. I mean, that's four times what we put up for our tournaments here, but you're still not guaranteed to get best players. And in actual fact, the, even the World Golf Championship events, a few of the top players skip some of those as well. well is that, and they're eight, $8 million. Aside from the events that double up against the majors, $6 million is one of their smallest tournaments, I assume, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. It's a minimum, yeah. that's a and, minimum number. And we could, what's the prize money for the Australian Open? One point five million. Yeah. So. But we could put up eight million and get. You, you wouldn't. It wouldn't change the yeah. entry list one dot. Correct. Unless you started. So so you might as well put up one point five and put seven million dollars into appearance money because you would get a better field, which is shows how yeah. these guys get paid far too much money and. It just well, shows it's, it's hard to think. It's hard to really comprehend that you could put on a six million dollar tournament and not garner one shred of interest from the average player. Well, there's no one there apart from Sergio who would move the needle. I mean, Tiger's not playing. It's interesting, Scotty's playing, which we were talking about the rankings before. Adam Scott is 59 in the world, so right at the moment he's not qualified for the US Open. Uh, the next Is the next major US Open? Sure, yeah. 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 So, yeah. He, yeah. so uh, he's out there trying to play, which I think is probably good for Scotty. I mean, he's had, that, he's had a few years of playing that limited schedule because he was good enough to do it, but now he has to really grind it well, out. That's a problem with winning a big tournament and obviously being good enough to win a big tournament, you go on the Tiger Woods schedule and you I think Jeff Ogilvy did the same thing. You you decide you're you know, you can play the limited schedule, but you got there because you played the maximum schedule. You're playing every week and you played a lot of golf and you get to be really good and you don't have to play so much, but you've got to be careful your form doesn't slip according yeah. to the number of tournaments you're playing. Well we're gonna be just like Tiger and take a quick break and come back on the other side of this little break. This is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, Visit swingfit.com.au. Hey, it's Jeff Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Rope podcast. Good bunch of guys, and I love listening. And welcome back in one of our time honoured segments. Well, that might be going a little too far, but I'm sure it will become time honoured uh, in the course of the next couple of years, Clates, because, uh, well, Blakey, I should say too, because Clates has made this his own. 
It's called hashtag Ask Us Anything as we welcome our uh, Facebook live audience through Golf Australia's Facebook page. Clayton's got to give everyone a wave there and a salute. Uh, this is where Clates really comes into his own, Blakey. Like, we almost need to step aside. Before I do... Actually, sorry, before I get your answer, just let me remind people that uh, they can subscribe to the Inside the Ropes podcast through Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Uh, we always encourage people to leave five-star reviews, Blakey. We don't want any of this two- and three-star sort of rubbish. Uh, and we've got a couple of beauties, and it brings us up to 88 five-star reviews, and we'd love to push that towards 100 in the coming weeks. If you're enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate it if you could review it on iTunes. That includes all you guys out there on Facebook. Uh, this helps more people like you discover what we're talking about every week. And we've got a couple of really interesting reviews this week, Blakey. Yeah, Dean from Mooney Ponds really liked the Bryden McPherson interview, which a lot of people liked. Actually, listening to Bryden for, for McPherson and really enjoyed his openness to Loire more than just the physical side of golf and seek to make gains with the mental side. On the other hand, I wonder what Bryson DeChambeau would think of this and similarly what Bryden would think of his scientific approach. Do they know each other? Perhaps you could ask them next time he's on. Really enjoy the show. Keep up the good work, Dean and Mooney Ponds. And we've got two. We've got Hills here. This, this, Townis, this next it? one from Towners, I mean, this is oh, uh, music goodness. music to our <laughs> okay. ears. After being a member of the Matt Cutler fan club for a number of years, <laughs> it is great to finally hear some of his insights on Inside the Ropes. Great that we no longer need to wait for Australian Open Radio now. And for those people who are listening who don't know Matty Cutler, he's our head of high performance at Golf Australia, is that right? Oh, a high he's a media, budding media superstar. Oh, I think he sees himself as the next Andy Ma. So, you know, this perhaps he could have been sitting in this seat today because he's got his eyes he's, on the front bar and several he's Carlton probably podcasts. probably therapy because I'm here. He might well be, yeah. actually. But uh, we encourage people to pick up the Matt Fat, Matt, oh, not the Matt Futler, the Matt Cutler fan club on Twitter. He, he's a big fan of that, uh, Matty. So, yeah, get on board. Thank you uh, both to uh, to Towners and to Dean for their reviews and keep sending them in. We'll read them out as they come in, especially the five-star or only the five-star ones, really. We're not worried about the rest of them, so the rest of you can bugger off. Anyway, here it is, the moment that Clates has been waiting for. As I said earlier, he couldn't even wait. Monday night, he started cranking out the responses on Twitter when we launched this. One of your more bizarre performances, Clates, I believe, to do that. Oh, well, pre-answering the questions. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did anyway, it occur to you at any stage that might have been did, an thought, issue? That's probably actually not. A, well, I didn't think we'd probably get to them all, but <laughs> hopefully we get to them all. I must say, there's a lot of questions. We yeah. are getting feedback in this little segment. It know, is, and we've got a lot more this morning that probably may not get read. Well, we try to get to a few. And as you said, we're on um, Facebook Live now through Golf Australia. I encourage you to drop some questions in. And we will try and get a couple of live ones here. Uh, anything to do with my fashion will be dismissed summarily, like bludgeoned over the sight screen. Uh, I'm a bit concerned this little bun that uh, one of my bosses has brought me from uh, Augusta is sitting on the desk while I'm, you won't, but, this, I'm hoping they're filming this, that. This could be an issue for yeah. you. Anyway, let's go, Clates. This is, uh, you know, let, we stop beating around the bush. Ask us anything. From Anita Blinko, who's a long-time listener to the podcast, are the red tees taken into account when designing or rating a course? Some of the top 100 in Australia might be great off the blacks, but are boring as the Commonwealth Games closing ceremony off the reds. Now, that's a big slap. Uh, they get taken into account more, I think, now when we're designing a course. You kind of put more of a effort into where the women's tees are going. One of the problems is, for example, if you 
build a long par four for men that's a par five for the women is how do you make it interesting for the women? Because it's, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to put a hat. I mean, the, the making of a great par five often is a bunker 30 or 40 yards short of the green, which you don't necessarily want to build on a difficult par four. But if you don't build it, then it becomes a less interesting par five for the women. But I mean, part of the problem is that we play so much competition golf here. Mm. That if you're a good player, go play off the men's tees. I mean, I play with some girls at Metro who are good players. And we just play off the men's tees. And the course for them, because they're good players, becomes much more interesting. So women's courses are generally, it's not fair. I like to, I like to kind of joke they're kind of grandmother's courses, really. They're, they're, they're set up for very short hitting. And, and they're very playable for the majority of women. But if you can play, when I caddied in the women's pennant for Michelle Huey, on, who plays for Metro on Sunday at Commonwealth, and the courses are ridiculously short for mm. her. I mean, she's a good player. Mm. And it's, there were a couple of holes into the wind. Well, the third's going to be really tough. We teed off the tenth, and you get to the third hole. It was a driving a eight iron because yeah. the tee's a hundred yards forward from where we play it. Mm. So, what's a tough hole for the men becomes a pretty easy hole for someone who plays as well as she does. So, so the, the courses that for good players, for good women players, are and I've been bang on about it with Trevor Hurden for years, is that they're, they're way too short if you're a good player. Yeah. So my suggestion would be go play golf for fun and play off the men's days if you find that more interesting. Yeah. So and, when and we go to the Women's Australian Open, uh, Trevor will have the tees back. Say on a par four, he's going to be 363, 360, aren't they? 350, 360 par fours. That yeah, kind which of, is way too short. I mean, that's metres, I mean. Yeah, I've played a lot with, yeah. obviously, Sue. I suits the ball as far as I do or further. Mm. And, I mean, the course is... A, I mean, Tom Watson, my friend who carried for so young, you for so long, LPGA, lob wedge, pitching wedge, gap wedge all day tour, he called it, LPGA. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, I think women's golf has always been set up to protect the poorer players, to make the scores not so bad. Mm. And, and we're better I don't think that, it yeah. does them any favours either. You know, no. I, mean, I mean, Sue and Brooke Henderson, they can easily play a, in the summer when the court, when it's bouncing and it's, the ball's going a long way. They can easily play a 7,000 yard golf course, a six thousand four hundred yard golf meter yeah. golf course. And so just, which and and if Anita's question was the ranking as in not so much the slope rating but the where the courses sit on the top hundred in Australia rankings, then no, they're all ranked off the back tees. Yeah. Yeah. And and also on that on on to that point from Anita's question, if the, if you're talking about and I know that she would probably know this, the course rating itself is definitely done from all the respective yeah. tees. So if you're talking about course rankings and the Golf Digest or Golf Australia magazine rankings uh, I'm, I'm unfortunately sure also that they don't take that into account mm. but maybe that's something that we can look at we're going to actually going to have a special in a few weeks time uh, with the, the people involved in putting those rankings together from the two magazines, Golf Australia magazine okay. and Australian Golf Digest next time Clates comes in for a bit more of banter uh, they're going to come in and, and talk about that so maybe we put that to them But for me the list I, my my off the top of my head, I don't think the list would change. Royal Melbourne's still going to be the best golf course, and whether you rank it off the... If you went and ranked every golf course in Australia, how it played off the women's tees, my guess is that the, the rankings wouldn't change one dot. Because you're judging architecture, ultimately. But we did have 200 questions, but we just had to rope that down a bit yeah. now, probably about 100. Quick, so. We'll be quicker now. Next. <laughs> Next one from uh, Peter Robertson in Brisbane, who's another regular listener. Appreciate your, your feedback here, Peter. What format would you recommend for a version of golf, you guys, that would take 90 minutes or less for young players to take up and to get them interested or hooked on golf to compete with other weekend sports such as soccer, rugby, netball? 
the very quick answer to that is just nine-hole golf. Um, I think there should be more nine-hole courses. Um, you know, there's a few around, and I think it's fantastic just as an entry level for players. Um, so that's what I would say. I I agree with the more nine-hole courses. My, I've got a bunch of friends who vehemently disagree with my opinion on this one, but I, I think there are a lot of pretty average to bad 18-hole courses that would be much better off for re- just pick the best holes. Contenting into nine, but spending money on making the mm. nine holes much better than it already mm. is. But most people, most of my friends don't agree with that at all. You know, you know, talk, we're talking about Albert Park. Well, Albert Park came up as a part of that discussion. And my view was, well, make it a great nine-hole course. Mm. But that, no, their argument is, well, it's really important to have eight-hole courses. And, and I don't know which is right and which is wrong. But clearly, if you're playing for 90 minutes, this is one of the questions I did. I, I answered on the on the way home. Was... Um, <laughs> You said just go out and play well, at your local golf Well, I was driving back from Metro. I, I yeah. dropped in there and played with John Kelly, my friend who won the Australian Amateur in 1979. Took your crown. I carried for him. And he did. And we were, we played five holes. We played one, two, three, half of the eighth and the ninth. Yeah. And it took us – we teed off at quarter to five and it took us 45 minutes and it was – well, it's great fun. I mean, we had a great time. And I, I, my my point to this would be go and play some cross-country golf. Um, you and I and others talk on Twitter occasionally, Clay's about holes that aren't holes. holes. Yeah. Go and play off the first tee and hit it to the fourth green and go and then tee off the fifth and hit it to the twelfth, wherever it is, on whatever course. And you know, make up your own little four-hole course to fill out the 40 minutes you've got because, you know, golf shouldn't be about uh, 18 holes and four-hour rounds. That's not yeah. what it was designed to be. Anyway, we've got to keep moving here. Otherwise, the next one, no, we've, got a, we've actually got a question off from our Facebook live stream, Ooh, okay. Blakey, that I'm going to go to from Ian Fowler. I'll put it to you, though. In an era when we're trying to attract people to the, ga- to the game, why alienate many already playing by banning long broomsticks? By banning the broomsticks? Um, well, Nothing like being put on the spot, is there? The, the short answer to that is that it's an unfair advantage over the other players. So... That that's the short answer. I mean, you know, um, it, it's we've, it's past us, isn't it? I mean, I know, but my nephew, uh, who's quite a good player, single figure player uh, here in the Melbourne area, he he had a bit of putting yips, and he tried the broomstick putter, so he can't use that anymore. But he's actually changed to left handed putting, which he's a right hander. The pro at his club said, "Why don't you putt left handed?" And at least he he got rid of the yips, so he had to learn how to putt again, basically. But I think that there was an advantage there. I, I, I'm not a fan of the broomsticks. Well, I think the RNA and the USGA fell down completely in their responsibility. When they let the driver get so big, when they let the ball get out of control, and I think my, my view is slightly different to that. I think that in the same view of the same line, the belly putter was going to take over golf. I, I think in 20 years, the risk was that everyone was going to be using a belly putter. Mm. And the short putter would have been extincted. So, so I think it was important to make the, make the traditional 36-inch putter an important part of golf. And if they hadn't done that, as I said, everyone would have been using the belly putter in 20 years. Just need to sort out the driver head sizes. Coates, here's yeah. another one. Um, you've been taken hostage. You get to pick a two marker to make par or better on any hole at Augusta and again at Royal Melbourne. Par or better you live bogey or worse, it's curtains. Which holes do you choose? At Augusta. Augusta and Royal Melbourne. I'll, I'll, I'll start off with Augusta, Clates, and then you can throw in your two bobs worth. I think the eighth at Augusta is the one that's 
eminently achievable for any player. Uh, it's not a complex no water. Not a no water. There's no sand around the greens. Uh, it's not a complex second shot. Um, there's space to work with, if, provided you don't tug one left um, all the way up the hole. And just I don't go it, left. I just, would have thought 13 as well. 13 is a, basically a par four length with a creek in front. So you, you can bump it out there. You can bump it up there. And I thought that. As long as you can pitch it over the water. Yeah, there's death at the creek and there's death in the azaleas. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I want to be hostage watching me play that. Look in the in the I looked this up yesterday. Oh, in, in the Masters, number thirteen is the easiest hole. A oh, two marker. Well, two marker can easily pass thirteen to Augusta. Yeah, because you, you, you just say I'm going to lay it up. Well, if you're playing safe, basically it's a seventy yard par three across a creek, I and mean, that's the easiest mm. shot in the world. Mm. And a big green to hit. Yeah. And on Royal Melbourne, I, I, you're going to have to help me out with a number of this hole, Clates. It might, might be about the ninth on the east course. It's par five, sort of veering right. Tenth. Tenth. Tenth on the yeah. east course. I think that's. By far, of the 36 holes there, the one that would provide least challenge in terms of par for a, for a reasonable golfer. Yeah, it's, it's a great par four, really, now. I was yeah. going to say 12 west, which is played as a well, par four for well, pros. Let, let's call it a par four. And, yeah, but as a par that's five. Not, well, it's not a par five. Let's call it a par four okay. for the sake of the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a two marker. I mean, the second west is a... Two west. Yeah. Two west is easy to par. I mean, there are plenty of holes at Royal Melbourne that are easy to par. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, we'll keep moving on. Thanks to Kevin Nolan of Melbourne for that question. Um, from someone who calls himself golf bollocks, I don't you know, advocate such language very often, Blakey, but um, there's no doubt that Pro Tracer makes golf worth watching. Why can't broadcasters give it to us on every shot? Now, Good I question. might actually take up this answer myself, which is sorry for reading it and sounding so uh, opinionated here. But, um, I don't know Ale- whether Andy would do that. Would he uh, ask the question and then answer it? Uh, well, yeah, well he, it's just a takeover. <laughs> okay, um, I've, no. I've got well, to find Ali Whitaker, uh, who's, who's a well-known commentator and one of our co-hosts on this show, has come up with a number on this, hasn't she? Yeah, that, and that's the one. We're just trying to find that now. Well, um, it was, uh, my understanding was that it was about 150k a week. Yeah. Well, she's, she's had shot trace shot trace accosted today by her uh, TV friends, and it's forty thousand to fifty thousand per week for a simple version of it. The American kitsch, which we see on television. Uh, cost around one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars per week, or per event, I suppose, according to Ali's research. So I think, you know, yeah. given the cost constraints on a lot of TV productions, that puts a bit of a handbrake on a few of these things. It is good, isn't it? I mean, it's it's good to watch. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it is it a massive thing? That, is it a must? Is it becoming a must-have? It is. It nah. is. Um, well, yeah. I've been watching those. Masters YouTube tapes of the old Masters, and they yeah. didn't have it, and they're great to watch. I mean, is it really that much better than? I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, look, it's good, but it's not. I think if if you go back and watch the 1974 Masters, for example, the 75 Masters, it was pretty compelling stuff without pro tracing. Yeah, sure. I'm not. I'm sure um, off the top of my head whether the the Mark Leishman big hook shot. Rope hook into the fifteenth on day three at Augusta. Was was that second on day, second the day. second day? Was that on uh, Pro Tracer? No, I'm not sure it was, but you could still see the ball curve. What a great the, shot that was! Wow, the trees. Yeah. That was a career, career shot. Clates, well, uh, next, Clates. Uh, why don't they make rangefinders legal on tour? That's from Phil Smith in WA. Why don't they make rangefinders legal on tour? This has been a big debate, hasn't well, it? Well, because they all have yardage books, and if a caddy had a choice between a yardage book and a rangefinder, they would always. Go with the yardage book. Because yeah. a rangefinder just gives you the flag. It doesn't give you the yeah. front of the green or it doesn't give you the tear in the green. Or... Oh, it can if you focus on it. Yeah, well... But it's hard but to fire at the, at the lip of a green you if won't it's get flat. It. 
for example, if you play in the 18th of Augusta, it won't give you where the tier and how far it is up the tier or under the tier, or and all the information's in a yardage book. And as Peter Dawson, the head of the RNA, once said, when people throw the it speeds up play argument, he says, well, how can it possibly speed up play when you have to wait until the flag goes in for the group ahead before you even start getting a yardage? So if caddies had a choice between one, I'd be happy if someone said, you can have a choice between a yardage book and a rangefinder because no one would use a rangefinder. They would all go with the book. Hazy, in elite amateurs, what's the situation with rangefinders there? Uh, it's, it's a hard-coded, hard-carded alternative. that They'll make a rule on it for each specific tournament. I don't think there's mm. one that's hard and fast. I'm in favour of them um, to speed up play, purely to speed up play. Um, mm. Generally find that you're allowed to use rangefinders during the amateur events. Yeah, um, and and I if that helps people make decisions rather than walking up and down, especially when they haven't got a caddy, then I'm all for it. That's just my thought, and I'm, I'm that'll never happen in the big tournaments. I don't foresee that. I desperately know. I desperately want to get rid of contour books on greens, Clates, and yeah, I know that you. Things. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know where you draw. Well, of the course, line. Augusta didn't don't allow them. Well, they're shocking. They're the horrible. Yeah. Thing. No, they had them. Did they? Yeah, no. Uh, Andy and I we spoke about it last week on the podcast. We went and watched Adam Scott. All right. Uh, and on the second hole in his fourth round, he he had a four foot putt, which you know he should just knock in for breakfast. Oh yeah. And uh, he did all his aim point stuff, and then came out and checked his contour book. Mm. And I, I, it just baffles me. It, but that's a whole different story. And we went there last week, so let's not do it again. Another question off Facebook Live here from Brad Clifton, a regular contributor, and I'm very grateful that he hasn't questioned my fashion. So thanks, uh, thanks, Brad. Hello to Brad. Another question for Mike. In light of the Australian cricket cheating debacle recently, have you ever seen anyone cheat on the golf course? And what did they do? And how did you address the situation? Uh, I yeah, I have. Um, I, in Asia, I saw a player fudge a putt, move it three inches in front of his marker. Of course, he denied he Ooh. did it, but three inches. Yeah, um, wow. we kind of had an argument, and he put it back. But um, <laughs> hang on, hang on, you kind of had an argument. Yeah, I said, mate, put the ball back. What are you talking? About? I said, put this, put the ball in front of the coin there, put it back where it was. Um, but how did that go down? I've seen guys break rules, but not. There's a big difference between breaking rules and cheating. I think everyone's broken rules. Mm. But there's a massive difference between that and cheating, which is knowingly either breaking a rule or not taking a penalty when you are due one. Well, how did that go down when you told when you said put your ball back? Well, he kind of ummed and out and put it back, but you know, was it an admission of guilt? Yeah, absolutely. But John Huggan did an anonymous players survey in Europe a couple of years ago and asked 40 players if they'd ever seen anyone cheat in a golf course, and 38 said they had. Wow. On a tour. Wow. Have you ever played with anyone who didn't count all their shots? Uh, in a, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. Well, no. Well, it depends if you're talking about... Accidentally or deliberately. No, no. Mm-hmm. Not just not uh, who said they had four when they had five. And no, no, no mm-hmm. one's ever done that, but that's a bit mm-hmm. obvious. Well, VJ, I suppose, did it in the Indonesian Open. He did. Yeah. 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 I wasn't playing with him, but that was the famous story there where he, he made ban- a seven. He was banned, to, banned for a while, wasn't he? he was allegedly suspended. allegedly yeah. made a seven at the last hole at Pondok Inder in Jakarta and changed his card to a six and to make the cut. Mm. And that's and it, was suspended for it, yeah. 
And that's one of the reasons that there's been a question over him for the duration of a stellar career. And that's why Patrick Reed's, you know, people ask, well, you know, let bygones be bygones, but that's exactly why it's not because it's so frowned upon in golf. I'm staggered to hear that 38 out of 40 admitted to seeing cheating. The problem with the cheating allegation is that Gordon Brand Jr. and Paul Way, who are two respected Ryder Cup players, played with Antonio Garrido in Madrid one year. And they called him for fudging the ball on the green, moving it in front of the marker. And in the end, it's even even when it's two players' word against one, the, the officials always, in the end, it's, it's all it is. Yeah, word. And, and whilst everyone might have suspected that he would have done it because he had a reputation, you can't ever do anything. And the, the two famous cheating cases were Bobby Vervey, who was Gary Player's brother-in-law, and Jane Blaylock, who both essentially broke the South African PGA and the LPGA Tour when they went to court. And, and I mean, if OJ Simpson got off, it's not very hard to get off a cheating allegation because it's always one person's word against the other. If there's no film of it, it's, it's unprovable. And so, so, so pros tend not to go there because they just know that it isn't worth the fight. I'd see a helicopter following a white Commodore up the up Beach Road or something on your way to Royal Melbourne one year, Clay. That'd be gold. <laughs> OJ style. Now, look, while we're on just some of the nuances of golf, uh, there's a question from David Forsett in Sydney. Will I ever consider a gimme rule conceding six-inch six putts or less in all forms of golf to save time? No. Well, they've already got it in match play, but um, haven't they? But... No, well, you no, can not in stroke play. Not. I mean, in stroke play, you've got to put the ball in the hole. Okay. I think yeah. that's pretty unanimous, David. Mm. Sorry about that. There'll be some, some wildly varying different interpretations well, of, of what six inches was. Yeah, in, in so many aspects <laughs> yeah. of life, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Brett McKay in Canberra. Sorry about that. I know that's sort of working a bit blue for you. Uh, we've got uh, our cameraman here, <laughs> Justin, who's having a bit of a pup. Uh, Brett McKay in Canberra on, on another um, sort of point of interest in golf rather than a hard and fast rule. If you can mark your ball and reset it the way you want to on the green, why shouldn't you be allowed to do that on the fairway? Taking it further, surely preferred lies within a card width would make the game less intimidating for new players. Well, there's probably a few players out there who take that <laughs> liberty. <laughs> take that anyway without without it being legal, don't they? Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I've heard Clates, and I'm sure it won't take much to prompt him into this response, but talk about you know how the ball used to lie when you when you when they first played at St Andrews, and it's and it's all about, in my mind, playing the ball as it lies. Well, you can mark the ball on the green because you. Well, you didn't used to be able to mark it originally, but they they allowed players to mark it because it was there'd be dirt on the ball. You could clean the ball, and by definition, there are no lies on the green. The lies are all the same, but there's a wild. Well, there used to be not so much now. There was a wild variety of lies on a fairway, and part of the the, the basic tenant of the game was play the balls that lies I mean yeah deal with all sorts of lies I mean you know it was never a game predicated on picking your lie well you, you mentioned uh, Sandfield Divots before and uh, I didn't mention it at the time but Jeff Ogilvie won, a, won his US Open out of a Sandfield, of a Sandfield, Sandfield divot. divot on the 72nd yeah. hole I mean, imagine driving the ball down the fairway on the 72nd hole and you're in contention for your first major and you walk up and it's sitting in a, yeah. a bunch of sand but he, but he did it Let's get to a bit more of a contentious one, a current issue, which is, uh, well, it won't be an issue currently, but it might be in about 350 days. From Marty Lynch in Gundawindi in, in Queensland. Great place on the border there. Do you think anyone will turn up at the Masters Champions Dinner next year, which is a, 
a not-so-subtle reference to Patrick Reed's victory. Well, it might depend what, what he's serving for the uh, Masters, <laughs> Masters dinner. It won't be humble pie. N- oh, no, good one, Hazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Very nice. Though, You're working well. Uh, no, they will. Of course they will. Who, w- who wouldn't turn up to that? Uh, you know, Patrick Reed, uh, interesting character. I, I, I sort of... Uh, I think we'll we'll see some people turning up there, mate. I, do you think that someone may not turn up? That's probably more. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be the majority of people there. Do you think there's a chance that someone will that's go? That's not you know going to happen because uh, it will cause a, a kerfuffle and it will get out and it will cause a headline. So no, they'll all be there. Yeah. Do they get ten grand for turning up to the dinner? Well, they yeah it pays their expenses to go for the week. Yeah. Ten grand. What well, they're short of a quid. Those blokes who won the Masters. Did you know, Clades? I read something on Twitter this week. How do you know that? Well, I don't know. I was, that was a question. I, 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 I was told that yesterday that, that they get I ten grand that. for no, no. turning the, the, well, up. Well, you? they're short of a quid. Well, I don't know. Well, this is why I'm going to tell you that they're not short of a quid. Jordan Spieth on Twitter this week was revealed that his average takeout every time he's been to the Masters for the moment, he's taking out eight hundred and ninety-two thousand dollars US on average every time he tees it up at Augusta because of his great results. Jack Nicholas in his entire Masters career, his entire career took out $894,000 US out of Augusta National. Isn't that a, just a bewildering statistic? Yeah. If you go on the PGA Tour website of the United States, you can actually look up career earnings. And it's quite fascinating to look at. I, I had a look at it last year. And I think Sp- Spieth was, at the t- this is about a year ago, he was sort of number 25. And then you, you, you go work your way right down and there's, oh, here's Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas at five, yeah, yeah, five and a half yeah, million dollars. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to skip one forward because I'm going to, then I'm going to come back to ask you the one that we're up to at the moment. But so skipping forward a question here, Clates, for you because you've been too quiet for too long. Would courses like Barnboogle Dunes or Newcastle Golf Club benefit from riveted bunkers to contain shape and contents in the wind rather than have sand blown out and over the surrounds of the bunker. And that's from Scott Hayes in Brisbane. Uh, no. <laughs> um, Did you leave all your best work on Monday night? I, I, like, the, I like the way the bunkers at uh, Bone Burgle change and the, you know, the wind blows them around and they change shape. And every, every time you go there, they've, they've changed a little bit. Don't even have to rake them, do you? Well, you don't. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's very – he's true when it says they're – yeah, you know, it's very powdery, soft sand. But mm. no, I think the bunkers look good at Bunbergle. I like the way I haven't played Newcastle for years, but Newcastle's a very sand belt sort of course. So I wouldn't have thought that was a candidate for revetting, which is you know. But basically, the question is, would you build small pot bunkers at Bunbergle? And I think no, the bunkers we built there work the best down there. Now, would they look appropriate at Newcastle? I just remember no, Newcastle's a. It's the closest thing to a sandbelt course outside of the sandbelt. So the style of bunkers there works really well. Mm. Interesting. Mm. So for you, Blakey, yeah. a really interesting question from uh, was that Foz Foster? Foz Foster. How can we How get, can more, get more, more golf on free-to-air television? Uh, I wonder whether he's talking about in Australia or whether he's talking about more generally. In Australia, Channel 7 show all our big golf tournaments. Um, now, okay, it might be nice for free-to-air to show uh, something like the Vic Open or the Queensland Open, something like that. But in terms of... Uh, I can see what he's maybe saying is that the you know the week-to-week PGA Tour, European PGA Tour, that sort of stuff tends to go to Fox. But that's just a, a reality. You know, um, 
it's 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 so for all sports that um, to to get onto free to air, you need to be producing kind of ratings that that footy you know the footy codes produce in cricket. And if you're yeah. not if you're not in that league, then you, uh, you you're going to pay TV. Yeah, if it wasn't for Fox, it wouldn't be any golf on TV. Yeah. So further to that question, and another one from Nicole Goodfellow uh, in Melbourne. Um, Sorry, no, I've gone, gone to the wrong person there. It's from Peter Robertson, again in Brisbane. If you were tasked with convincing TV executives in Australia to invest in bringing the Golf Channel to Australia, what would it be? How would you go about it? Yeah, interesting. Uh, the Golf Channel uh, you know, w- would work beautifully on Foxtel just if they showed it exactly as it is. Like, uh, I'm not sure whether, they're the, whether Peter is talking about uh, having an Australian golf channel, or whether he's just introducing the golf channel that's that I runs think he wants the feed from the United States. And yeah. my my understanding of that is that there's a conflict between because I think that's an NBC oh, related right. product, and and there's a conflict between that and and Fox. Yeah, uh, ultimately that would prevent that from happening because it would I'm sure it'd be well received here. It would, it would. You know, it'd be popular. Bound to be a market for it. Yeah, uh, Clayton. Another question from our live stream on Facebook for yep. you specifically from Matthew Wood. Clates, what is the best way to push the idea of width and angles, not talking about trees, at, at my home club? We currently have a number of holes with tree line shoots, which are only a result of lack of tree maintenance. Well, you've ultimately got to cut the trees down. Simple as that? Well, well you've got to convince the people who have the power to, or the control over the golf course that... Golf's a more interesting game when it's wider and there's more space. If you just narrow a, a golf hole down to a tree line, thirty yard wide hole, there are no options. It's just hit it between the tree line. So you've got to have a committee who embraces the concept of width and angles, which is what you're talking about. But the only way you can create angles and choices and strategy is to have a hole that's wide enough to create that. And if you've got a tree line 35 yards apart, you've got no chance to do that. I was, yeah, think, yeah, so, I was, I was thinking of Clates uh, when I was watching Jordan Spieth um, tee off on the last no, day at Augusta and he pulled his uh, tee <laughs> shot on the 18th in the funnel that goes through the uh, from the 18th tee and hit, hit a branch and dropped down. How bad, down it, and he how was bad is that shot? Look, I mean, mm. I know it always looks worse on TV than it does live but in person but well it takes it takes just, 150 meters off the golf ball it's just a ridiculous yeah. looking hole that thing's so narrow the final out. yeah and, and so is the seventh hole i mean mckenzie would hate the seventh hole now if he saw it at augusta it's so narrow and so tight well the tee's way back isn't it and then they planted yeah. a lot of trees down the right but yeah i mean people joke about my view of trees and what we do to them but you got, uh, that was yeah, one of a, the questions I was going to ask. Do you have um, any trees in your backyard? Yeah, we do. But <laughs> not indigenous trees, which is worse. But, um, you know, it's, it's a huge question for every golf course to ask about, about the role of trees in golf. And going back to the first question about rankings, the courses that have managed their trees the best and kept their trees, as, a part, as Harry Colt says, a part of the scenery not, but not a part of the stage, Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, Bumbergle, New South Wales, they're, they're, they're wide and they've got space. The courses that don't manage trees and, and, and plant trees indiscriminately long after the course was designed are the ones that struggle for any, you know, to get any ranking recognition. I played at Yarra Yarra in a swap day on Saturday. And Tom Doug's gone in there and ripped out hundreds of trees out of the front nine and completely transformed the fifth hole. Fifth hole is back to where Alec Russell would recognise it now. It's amazing how much better it is. 
Speaking of Tom Doak, he's going to provide our next question or part of our next question, Clates. Uh, according to Paul Hastings, Tom Doak says that if Alistair McKenzie had stopped by Woodlands for a cup of tea on the way home, it would be rated right up there next to Kingston Heath and Royal Melbourne. What do you think? Well, it wouldn't be ranked next to Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath, but it would be ranked in the next level. You know, sort of. Is it not already? Well, I think it is, yeah. I mean, I, I actually took Tom there the first time Doak went there. He'd done the confidential guide and he hadn't included Woodlands in it because he'd been recommended. I think Tom Ramsey and Richie Benno told him which courses to go and see in Melbourne. And he went to all the famous courses and never went to Woodlands. So when he came out, we were on our way to Bamboogle for the first time together. And he said, let's go and see Woodlands. And the first hole at Woodlands is the least good hole in the course. He walked up the second. Not a bad which, hole at all. Not, not a bad hole, but, yeah. but, it's, but it's the, it's the if, if you're ranking them in quality, it'd be number 18. Yeah. Yeah. And he, the second hole's a pretty good hole, and the third hole's a good hole, and the fourth hole's really good. And he got to the fifth hole and said, why hasn't anyone told me about this place? This is amazing. And we, and we walked the whole place, and you know, he, he, thought, he thought Wooden was a, was a tremendous, and it is a tremendous course. And what, what's good about it, I think, is that it's very different. It's very quirky with the tiny little greens and yeah. the, fourth, the fourth hole being the, the best example. You, you played it, Hazy, the fourth. It's a drivable par four with a tiny little tabletop green. Yeah. yeah and I, if you get over to the side, you can chip it, it straight across the green. With the yeah. same um, soil properties as its, as its neighbours, but it's a totally different look of the course. It is. It's different. Yeah, it's, yeah. Which is fascinating it's great. to me. It's great. And the fourth is one of those greens that if you build it now, and I know this is true because we built the same green basically at the 13th of the lakes. Yes. People would go crazy now if you built it, but because it's been there for 100 years, it's people have had time to realise what a great bit of architecture it is. Mm. And it's a tiny... I think the hole's maybe 250 metres, maybe. Mm. But a brilliant hole. Because if you drive it up alongside the green, you're going crossways at it. It's, it's really difficult from the side. Yeah, the so. angles the angles there are so subtle. And it's a brilliant use of angles. And mm. well, Next question here is from Nicole Goodfellow. I mentioned her name before. She's from Melbourne. Um, it's a more fundamental question, I, I suppose, than, than uh, course architecture. It's how and when will we see women's golf on air more and better or equal prize money? When will golf exit the dark ages? Um, I might take up a couple of the answers on this one. Yeah. Um, the other day at Golf Australia office, we had a, a Vision 2025 meeting, the first full meeting of the steering committee. Uh, and I'm telling you, Nicole, just uh, we are trying desperately to rectify all the situations that of, of inequity around women's golf. Um, it's happening I trust that you, when you listen to this podcast, you see that we give equal airtime and discussion to as many um, female aspects of the game as we as we can, um, and we treat them equally and don't make any difference between uh, between them. I I sat and listened the other day back to um, uh, Penelope Lindbergh's interview that she gave us after the first major championship this year, the ANA. Uh, I thought it was absolutely stunning the way that she spoke with us, and and anyone who doesn't see that uh, and and poo-poos us for uh, running women's golf. Um, I'm sorry, this is probably the wrong podcast for you. Uh, in terms of getting it on television, uh, the Women's Australian Open um, and has always, uh, in modern years anyhow, been on the ABC and, and is free and open to everyone. I know that it doesn't get on, um, you know, the, the, the secondary tournaments don't garner as much. The, the Vic Open uh, is a special. Uh, the, the podcast that Golf Victoria puts up uh, is, you know, absolutely, not podcast, it's a live stream. Uh, is absolutely fantastic. Some of the commentary there is outstanding, um, but yeah, it's it, you know we are trying to get to the point where this is not even a question that has to be raised. Um, uh, 
Just have you guys got prize money? Hazy, um, the, the Women's Australian Open is worth more than the Men's Australian Open, Correct. As, as I understand. Yeah, that's, that's right, isn't it? Absolutely true. It's, um, worth, it's worth more it's than worth the Australian more, PGA the, Championship. The, the, Vic, the Vic Open, the Oates Vic Open, is equal prize money for men and women. Yeah. It has been for a few years. So. We're, we're desperately trying yeah. to rectify these situations. And, you know, yeah. Clates was talking before about Fox. Um, you know, Fox being the you know the the home of golf to mm. watch it. Um, they give great coverage of the LPGA tour as much as possible. Sometimes it gets bumped down the sh- bumped down the schedule, but you know that's just a, a simple ma- matter of maths. As you know, you as you come back from the PGA tour, everyone's got to sort of uh, you know I guess getting the getting the line behind that one because it's clearly the you know the most prominent and highly rated tour in the in the world. Um, I, I, just about the money. There's only one tournament in Australia that's richer. In, in a purse sense than the Women's Australian Open, and that's the Perth Super Sixes. So, you know, it's we've taken a lot of steps. Um, stick with us for the ride, Nicole. I think um, we're heading in the right direction. And in Japan, I think the women play more tournaments, but for the same amount of prize money. So it's pretty mm. equal in Japan. And Korea, the women's tour in Korea is way bigger than the men's tour, much yeah. bigger, much more popular, much more prize money, more tournaments. Mm. So there are two pretty... Tr- patriarchal places really in terms of but, but the women's tours kill the men's well, well the, the women's tour certainly is much bigger than the, than the men's tour in Korea and which is a commentary on how great their women players are really but in Japan it's pretty the, the women's tour is incredibly popular in Japan I think all three of us are on the same page here that uh, you know I love watching women's golf you've done yeah. a lot of catting at, you know watching top level women's golf is absolutely awesome uh, particularly for a you know, a poor player like me. I mean, it's 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 um, the the length that they hit the ball is far. It equates far more to what I'm doing yeah. uh, as a fifty uh, something man than uh, watching Dustin Johnson blow it 380 yards. Mm. You know, um, so and the the precision as well of someone like a Lydia Ko, and we spoke about Brooke Henderson with the, you know the power before as well as you know uh, someone like a uh, Aria Jatanagan. You know, awesome. Awesome. Couldn't agree with you more, Blakey. Mm. And I'm really surprised to learn that you're over 50 because I wasn't going to ask. I wasn't going to ask you this question, but now I've been sort of given a green light by your good self. And and sorry, Clates, but I think you might oh. be in this category too. Prior to a, a, a comp round, oh. what is a good realistic warm up routine for those over 50? How long should this warm up take? Um, I currently have around 10 putts and chips only. Darren Blenkinsop from Melbourne's uh, sent him that question. I didn't realise, Blakey. I'd, I had no idea you were over 50. <laughs> well, you know, there's a little bit of grey here, mate. So, But <laughs> if Darren thinks that he's going to play as a plus 50 guy uh, on a couple of chips and, and 10 putts, uh, you've definitely got to get out. I, I'll, I'd always hit, you know, a few balls. I'm not going to go out and blast 50 balls and work through the the clubs but you've just got to get the body moving clates so uh and it does take a little while so uh, you know it's always worth even if it's just in the net just hit a few into the net just to get get things moving a little bit <laughs> i'm at the I'm, i play with your great mate jeff slattery and i we play on saturday mornings no warm-up no warm-up zero ten putts no chips ten putts all right okay well, I, I, jog, first tee. I jog from the car to the first tee blakey you know warm-up well, I'm not on the wrong side of 50. What I other suppose. game would you play that you don't warm up? I mean, would you go out and play a game of footy or cricket? You know, the, if you're playing cricket, you'd go and hit a few, you know, surely, you know, golf's no different. You just no, go, I agree. I mean, especially yeah. if it, not, it doesn't apply to Clates because Clates' swing is a bit more grooved than yours and mine. But uh, for us choppers, we yeah. should definitely get out and, you know, yeah. make a few minutes to get the get the groove on. 
Stellar style clates. One of the at Riviera, they've got Chuck Peter Fowler uses it a lot. One of those kind of winged training aid things you swing. Big four big white wings on on, on the end of a shaft, and and it's all about air, wind resistance and air resistance. And Chuck swings that for fifteen minutes before he plays. And if you did that, you would never need to. Do anything more than that? But he he's one of the fit, fittest fifty something guys in the yeah. world. Took his yeah, Chooks, yeah. And, and hitting it probably hitting it further, further. than he ever has. Yeah. 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 All right, and one last question because we've got a thousand questions on uh, Facebook Live and also on Twitter. Um, best courses to play, Clates. I mean, we could Blake and I might best, be able to offer a couple of things here, but this is best for you. It's best outside. Best, it's best yeah. outside the Open Championship rotor. Is that right? Yeah, best courses in the Scotland UK and Ireland. Yeah. Uh, especially in Scotland and Ireland, outside the open rotor for, for people to go and have a hit at. And that's a question from Andrew Newell. Oh, there are lots of them. Um, Brora. Brora was great. Dornock is great. Matty Guyatt said that on Twitter. He responded to Royal Dornock. Yeah. No, uh, what about Royal County Down? Royal that... County Down. Well, yes, not or on is the that in the rotor? That's soon. not on that rotor yet. Royal County. But, but I, I'm, mm. we're talking about kind of second tier, for want of a better word, yeah. courses. There were so many brilliant courses in Scotland and Ireland, all over England. You know, Woking and Sandale and St. George's Hill, all those great Heathland courses. What's the name of the course that first hosted the Open? Was it Prestwick? Prestwick. Prestwick's I'm told amazing. that's a crack- cracker. Prestwick's amazing. North Berwick is a... Sink uh, Ports? Royal Sink Ports? It was a thing on Royal Sink Ports. It was a thing mm. on Golf Club Atlas, which is an architecture geek's website. And someone asked a question of what are the 10 courses you would go to see in Britain to advance your architectural knowledge, to learn about architecture. And Tom Doke came on and said the top three were... St Andrews, which is obviously on the open rotor, Presswick and North Berwick. Mm-hmm. So Presswick and North Berwick hark back to what the game, how it started out with blind shots and using the land. And, so fun to know, play. Great, for, brilliant course. I mean, North Berwick's an amazing place. And so for my two, Bob, I'm going to throw in Panmuir, which I think Pan is yes. fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. there's a course called um, Royal Montrose in a little town Montrose called, is terrific, yeah. Uh, on the way between St Andrews and Aberdeen up on that yeah. on that uh, east coast. I think that's fantastic. Just, with Huggy, yeah. just um, outside St Andrews, there's a place called Crail where uh, yeah. there's a there's a beautiful course there with unbelievable views. And Kingsbarn's near there Kingsbarn's as well. Kingsbarn's is good. Mm. I mean, Knott's in the middle of the country near Sherwood Forest is where Edwina Kennedy won the British Amateur a long time ago, 1977. Mm. Is, a, is a tremendous course. It's a Woodhall Spa. I mean, Eng- England's full of great golf. I think it's the best country in the world for golf. England or Scotland or Britain? England. Well, well the best single country is England for golf. It's amazing. Ahead of Scotland? Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. Well, because there's more variety. I mean, there's great inland golf in Britain. Sorry, in, in England. There's no, there's very little great inland golf in Scotland. Glen Eagles mm. is pretty good, but while well, the old courses at Glen Eagles, not the Ryder Cup course, but mm. the Kings and Queens courses at Glen Eagles are terrific. Yeah. But, England's got, as I said, lots of great inland golf, as well as the links. Awesome. We could talk, probably talk okay. about that a lot longer, but uh, we need to take a break. Uh, thanks to all our listeners on um, on Facebook Live, or our viewers, I should say. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your questions and your feedback, um, especially that you haven't ripped our fashion sense. Uh, and on Twitter, it's been great. We've Sorry we've left out a lot of questions, but we just have run out of time for that. Clates is just warming up too, which is a Send pity. Send it to me. But... I'll answer them on Twitter after the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's, was it Michael Clayto? I don't know, 15. 19. Or 15. Yeah, there we go. It. I'll find it. Anyway, thanks so much for all your responses and questions, and we'll do that again later in the year. I know it's a very popular segment. For now, we'll just take a quick little break. G'day. I'm My Golf Ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for My Golf. 
Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment, and just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day guys, it's Ryan Russell here, and I'm a long way from home, playing on the Latin America tour and living in the US, but I keep up with all my Australian golf by listening Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes again. Thanks to everyone for their interaction with the Ask Us Anything segment. It's a very popular one, and we will bring it back. Uh, presumably when Clates makes another appearance again later in the year, he's a very popular man, Mike Clayton, on the podcast scene, doing quite a few of them around the traps now, Clates. I don't know. If that's in your contract with uh, Inside no, the Ropes. No, doing a few too many. Yeah, anyway, it's um, <laughs> too much fun. No, it is good fun. And we, we do love talking about golf, and there are so many different issues to discuss. Uh, among those is uh, the Australian Junior Championships, which have been going on in Perth for a lot. They continue to uh, go on. We're recording this on Wednesday morning, and the Boys Interstate Series is still in progress. Uh, we'll, cut, we'll touch on that in a second. But firstly, wrapping up the events that have completed... Huge congratulations to the West Australian girls team uh, for wrap, wrapping up the the girls series inside two days, which is quite remarkable. They did lose uh, to New South Wales on the final day when the when there was nothing really at stake. Uh, took a bit of I don't think it took any gloss at all off the result. Fantastic uh, achievement by a young team, and and the the way those uh, West Australian teams are coming together now is absolutely what phenomenal. What is it about the WA? People. Uh, so the, the, the girls and boys from a very young age, like 14, 15, 16, start pushing each other in a team state sense. And they, they are really good friends uh, around all the clubs that play top-level pennant around around the city of Perth. Um, they are pushing each other, uh, not just at interstate series time, but through the year. Um, and, and they're and right absolutely at the moment, you've got followed. Curtis Luck, you've got Minji Lee, you've got Hannah Green, just yep. for t- to name three off the top of my head. Young pros, you know, outstanding. Going places. All and and, and I was just about to say that one of the really key aspects of what's going on is Curtis and Hannah in particular, but Minji to a lesser extent, and other, and other people who have come through those ranks in the, in the last few years, uh, are constantly in contact with those coming forward through and congratulating them on their results and they stay in touch and it's a really it's a great fellowship west australian golf and uh, you know if you if you get to experience what they do it's it's tremendous and for a state that doesn't rock the population particularly victoria and new south wales and to a lesser extent queensland they've got a phenomenal record in these events and i expect them to go really well in the senior interstate series it's coming up at adelaide in a few weeks time Mm -hmm. so uh congratulations to the girls um on the boys side of things as I mentioned, um, still ongoing. There's, there's rounds to play two on uh, on Wednesday, one on Thursday till we get a winner uh, or a half, as the case may be. But remarkably, there's still five teams in contention, four with three wins and a loss, and Victoria um, have two and two after after four rounds of competition. So they could go anywhere around Australia, the, the boys. I still favour the WA combination. Uh, Queensland's in front on, on contests one at the moment, and uh, sorry, on matches one at the moment, but... I think uh, Gulf Western Australia could complete the double, which would be remarkable. Touching on the Australian Junior Championships, the individual ones the week before, um, again, just huge kudos to the WA crew. I know they're playing on home soil, uh, but, you know, phenomenal. At, and the girls at Royal Perth, Madison Hinson-Tolshard, who's been sort of a rising, um, developing player for the last couple of years, really put it together and, 
and outdueled Grace Kim, which is a, who's one of the winners of the Curry Webb Scholarship. So a phenomenal achievement from her, and she she won the Australian Girls Junior Championship, gives her a right to play in the ISPS Hander Women's Australian Open in Adelaide in 2019, which is a great feat in itself or a great reward. And on the men's side, uh, I don't I don't want to bring this up too much, Blakey, but I may have predicted this. May I, have predicted this. this. Yeah, I tipped this. Mm-hmm. Connor Fuchs. Um, left-hander, right? Left-hander from Kalgoorlie, Clates. Um, he, he's, he's got a history in golf and his family is involved. And he's got his, I met his dad in, in at uh, Karen up earlier this year. God, what a beautiful family they come from. And it, I know that you've got a bit more about his background. Well, Sean Clues, who caddied for Sue O for a bit last year, caddied for Sandra Gulf for four years, so... Sean's been canning on the LPJ Tour for a long time. I'm not sure who he's canning for now. One of the Korean good players. And they're related, right? Uh, his uncle. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it, it's amazing. Connor Fuchs, um, a really um, impressive, nice, good-speaking young fellow. Shy uh, and remarkably six hours from the Perth metro area in, at Kalgoorlie to, to come out. He's the captain of the boys' Um, interstate team. He's a really impressive young fella and he won. Uh, there were five of the top six, I want to say. Uh, might even be six or seven, but f- let's go with five of six, uh, the top place getters from Western Australia. Um, again, Blakey, just reiterating what we said before, truly remarkable. The only non-WA person at the pointy end of the leaderboard was Louis Dobbler, who we all have high hopes for from Queensland. Um, put his head up into the frame, but realistically, the WA boys dominated. Uh, a couple of um, mishaps laid on for another couple of them who were, uh, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, but Connor Fuchs is our man, and, and he gets to play for all the way from Kalgoorlie. I just I can't be a bigger rap for this. All the way from Kalgoorlie, he gets to play the Emirates Australian Open uh, in, in November this year at the Lakes. Could be mixing, rubbing shoulders with the likes of Jason Day or Jordan Spieth if they come back. Who knows? What a great reward that is. Yeah. Yeah, just phenomenal. So congratulations to Connor, Maddie, and all the crew at WA at the moment. They're just kicking goals. Um, I know there's a couple of things you wanted to mention, Blakey, as we clean up a few just bits Just a quick one. This may not surprise you, but I think it will interest you, Clates in particular, and you, Hazy. Uh, in golf, Australian Golf Digest today, uh, they, were, they had some, uh, you know, an article on some figures that were done on the driving distance of average players. And uh, this is one of the arguments that some people use uh, against rolling back the golf ball is that they, you know, they would argue that it's going to, if you roll back the golf ball for pros, you'll affect the distance that uh, the average amateur player hits it. So in America, they've got uh, an app called Arcos, uh, which tracks the um, the distance through GPS of, of the average players. And they just got the figures back for uh, the first part of this year. And the average driving distance of the average um, American player, I presume male, is 217 yards uh, down from 219 yards in 2015. So, uh, I mean, as I said, it wouldn't surprise you. I mean, the amateur player is not hitting the ball any further. Well, no so, one's, so you're not yeah. taking anything away from it. If you roll back the ball, you're not going to take anything away well, from no it. Well, no one's suggesting they mm. roll back the ball for the average player. Mm. Um, my point's always been you take the iron barren, which tests the balls. You have a rolled back ball and a modern ball. When you swing, the, you swing it at 80 miles an hour, 81, 82, 83, 84, all the way through to 130, and you see what the difference is. So someone who swings at 80 miles an hour how far does the ball go 
with a modern ball and with a proposed rollback ball. And you're not going to lose 30 yards like Dustin Johnson is going to lose. Dustin Johnson lost 10%. Yeah. He loses 30 yards. Yeah. So that doesn't mean the average the guy, the average player, whatever that is, loses 30 yards. Yeah. And, you know, it's why I've always thought there should be a bifurcated game where, where yeah. the, the pros and, and the top amateurs play with a different ball. But we still need to see the facts about who 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 gains and lo- loses what with the rollback ball versus the the current ball. And the other thing is what they don't again. We're going to bash America again. What the Americans don't understand is we rolled the ball back in 1983 in Australia. Every in theory, every person who played golf in Australia lost 25 yards when they made the big ball compulsory. Mm-hmm. Americans don't even know that haven't happened. Now, they're all crying over there about, oh, they're going to take our yards away. Well, they did it to the rest of the world. I mean, there was no way America was going to come up. There was no way there was going to be a compromise 1.66-inch ball, for example, which is a compromise between the small ball and the big ball. And that wouldn't have been the right thing either. But there was no way the Americans were going to compromise on or, or, heaven forbid, change to the small ball, which is what the rest of the world used outside of Canada and Mexico and South America. So we all fell in behind them. And every player who played around the world lost, in theory, some amount. Some, I mean, good players lost up to twenty-five yards. The average player probably didn't lose anything, and it was, and the big ball was easy to chip with. But it's already happened in the world, and the game went on, yeah. didn't just, fall apart. I just thought about this, Clay. Maybe that's why the Americans have never gone metric because they didn't want to lose more yards off their. <laughs> yeah, off that's their right, exactly right. Yeah. Well, you're a bifurcation man, aren't you, Hazy? I'm um, all for bifurcation. And Jeff Ogilvie spoke about this at the Australian Open last year. He, he had the most intelligent sort of analysis that I've heard, really, from a player because he made the point that he's paid, well paid by uh, Titleist to promote the golf balls that he uses, um, you know. And But he, he also said that in he used the example of baseball where in pro baseball they're allowed to use the aluminium bats there a few years ago and the stadiums all of a sudden were too small so if you apply that to golf courses um, you know where are you at if you and it's where we're at now is you know when your old stadiums i.e. courses uh, can't handle the the distance that the players hit it so what do you what do you do build a new stadium or do you do something about well you can keep moving the tees back but at some point you run out of room to do that I mean Augusta are building a fifth tee out in the road aren't they haven't they bought the road behind the fifth hole and they're building the the capacity to do that now, yeah. Yeah, so it's just insanity. Actually, what's one thing where I probably should have put on the table earlier from coming back from Augusta National was the discussion about the 13th hole Mm. um, because everyone just expects right now that they're going to use the land they brought in the the Augusta um, Country Club next door to take the tee back. There was actually discussion at Augusta National this year, I'm not sure if you guys have heard this, that they might actually, instead of going back, uh, which is obviously at a much Mm. greater expense, actually just lower the tee. Because there's quite a walk up from the twelfth green up to the back where the thirteenth championship tee is. If they lower that whole tee block, excavate the ground out, so that the so hitting over, over the, the trees, trees is a much more daunting challenge. Um, it's, I don't think I'm not sure that'll eventuate, but that was the discussion that was on the table at Augusta. Now, when Fred Ridley spoke about Bobby Jones wanting the second shot to thirteen to be a momentous decision, yeah. which it was. If you watch the old tapes of the you know the, through the seventies of yeah. Tom Watson and Freddie Couples and Nicholas hitting three irons and four woods, and yeah. I mean now with a five iron, it's not a momentous decision at all. 
you know, it's just yeah, and I think if you can, if you can take it over the trees, I think you know one of the years that Bubba Watson won, he went kind yeah, of luckily went went through yeah. the trees and hit something like yeah, an wedge. iron or yeah, wedge. wedge. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I need to apologise for my own lack of information. I spoke to Graham Scott of the Australian PJ Tour, who was a referee at Augusta during the Masters. And he actually said to me, he was, he was stationed at the 13th Green, and he actually told me, and we sort of said during the during the uh, broadcast that, uh, we being Andy and I, that uh, Patrick Reed's ball was incredibly lucky to stay out of the tributary to Race Creek on the front of the oh, 13th. Yeah. Yeah. Now, apparently, uh, you know, off camera, that had been happening all week because they oh, right. deliberately left a heap more grass on that hill so that they wouldn't do it. So a lot of players were taking advantage of it, especially on Friday or Thursday maybe, to a front front, front pin that they actually said, oh, well, if we miss it, it's not going to roll back into the water. So Scotty said it was a pretty simple, straightforward up and down to that front pin, and balls were not going in there all week. <laughs> it's, so. it's interesting because the, the 15th, uh, the, 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 the hill that runs down the front at the, into the pond of the 15th, all the balls were rolling That's in right. there this year. But I've seen years where they, they've stopped there no, as well. Not, not recently, but 15, no. 15 is ridiculous. I mean, mm. surely at 13, Patrick Reed's ball should go in, but Sergio's ball shouldn't go in at 15. Yeah. yeah. It looks like they've got that completely ass about. Yeah, mm. no, that's true. Okay, well, so we'll just wrap up a few Australian results around the world. We touched on Brett Rumford early, going really well in the Spanish Open. Marcus Fraser, Jason Norris, and Jason Scrivener all making the cut there. Good to see Marcus Fraser back in good form. Um, on the China Tour, a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, one we missed out on last week from Augusta, and I apologise for this, particularly to Max McArdle, who's a, um, an impressive player from Adelaide. Shot a 66 in the closing round of the China PGA Tour to finish third. Um, behind China's Yi Chow. Um, great result for Max, uh, an underrated player and, and really pushing his claims around the world now. So that's good good for him. And Dave Luteris and Kevin Yuan. Good for Kevin Yuan, a young guy from Sydney to, to bank a check there as well. Uh, on the, Some mixed news from the China Golf Tour. The best name in golf, Blakey, Maverick Antcliffe. Or best name in golf. Close with a 66 at the Yunnan Open to finish 24th last week. Uh Jack Munro, also of Queensland, finished tied 43rd. Um, Bride McPherson, our own here on Inside the Ropes, uh, didn't make the cut. Um, but worst news probably, and I haven't got to the bottom of this yet, but Dean Lawson, his fellow Victorian there, uh, withdrew injured, and I believe he's got some sort of wrist or hand injury. So that's mm. probably not what you want as a young golfer. So let's hope that Dean can sort of get that behind him as soon as possible. Uh, they move up the road to the Yunnan Classic this week, which is a far bigger result fi- financially if they can do well and, and then they get a few weeks off there. Um, we touched on Brooke Henderson, Blakey, but the, the girls, uh, the Australian girls, have a lot of championship. Well, Rebecca Artis uh, finished tied 39, so a made cut there for Rebecca in her first year on the tour. Minji Lee has been a bit, a little bit flat recently. She finished 50th. Um, Sue O, I was going to ask you about Clates missed the cut. Um, doesn't seem to be playing that well at the no, moment. No, she's not. She's um, struggling. I think she changed clubs last week, which was good. Her, her caddy and I have been on a mission to get the club she was using out of her bag, which she finally got around to doing. But I think she played better last year. She missed the cup. I think she played a bit better. So She's made changes, hasn't she? There was a lot of changes last year. With I think her swing looks pretty good. So, But yeah. she was using a set of clubs that were... I thought were terrible for her, but and Hannah Greenhazy is is uh, I looked on the uh, what do they call the race to, uh, to the globe, globe uh, 25th in that already. So in her first full season, I mean she's doing pretty well. Yeah, outstanding. She's made uh, well over a hundred grand. We'll speak to Hannah in the upcoming weeks on the podcast. Uh, she's uh, it's tremendous what she's doing. And speaking of tremendous, Cam Smith uh, continued his good form um, after his 
fifth at Augusta. He, he, he didn't go so brilliantly at um, Hilton Head, but still managed to make a good check alongside Rod Pampling and a share of 32nd. Aaron Baddeley, 56th. Uh, missed cut for Mark Leishman, which is a bit of a surprise. But, Clates, I wanted to ask you, um, one of the people that um, we had back at Hilton Head from an Australian perspective was John Sendon. Yeah. First time true. back on the main tour. He did play one on the web.com a few weeks ago. Um, missed the cut. Shot a 69 first round and then a 74. It's hard going when you shoot 69 yeah. and 74 and miss the cut. But um, unbelievable to see him back and, you know, not not surprisingly to see him hitting it well. Yeah, he's a tremendous player. He. I think he had the, he was one of three or four guys who'd kept his finished in the top one twenty five for fifteen consecutive years. It was it's amazing how few players have done that. He, he was one of three or four that had Mickelson, Furick. So he's a terrific player. And back from, of course, when we refer to his return, um, his son <coughs> Jacob um, has had a uh, a, a brain um, tumor, um, and they've been working away on it. But it's far from remedied permanently, but it's still a place where Jacob can. I uh, understand can live his life reasonably well and he's back playing his sport in Texas and uh, just, you know, our, our all our best wishes from Australian golf to John Sendon and his family, in particular Jacob, as they continue that fight. But great to see Pamps up and about and, and back on tour. Um, the North Mississippi Classic marks the resumption of the web.com tour this week. Blakey, after a three-week stint, we've got four guys in the mix for the top 25 at the moment. Rian Gibson, your well, man. Rian, he's... Uh, almost over the line, isn't he? I mean, he's certainly put himself in the... Oh, it's a bit too early to go over the line, yeah. but he's definitely in position number 10 on the rankings at the mm. moment after the first little yeah. break for the year. So he's he's in position. Brett Drew at 27, Curtis Luck at 35, and Jamie Arnold from Sydney at number 56 on the rankings. I think they're all in uh, in contention. Um, just And while we're wrapping up the results, Harrison Endicott did well again um, this time on the Latino America Tour. Uh, his second event, I think, I believe, uh, and he's finished tied 12th at one of my favourite events, like the 87 Avieto OSDE del Centro. Outstanding accent there, Hazy. And uh, Ryan Ruffles played in that event, is that correct? He did. He was well back. 54th. Yeah, he's interesting at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, he needs to do something. Yeah. Um, Danny List, I don't know if you guys know much about Danny List. I'm putting my hand up and saying no. No. He's sort of um, got a... He's a bit from England, he's a bit from WA, he's a bit from all over the place. Uh, he had shot a fantastic first round. I was thinking, oh, this is great for him. Um, and then suddenly he's disqualified. Don't know what he did in his second round to get disqualified. But uh, after an opening 69, disappointing. Uh, let's hope he can sort of bounce back there. And that pretty much wraps up the uh, the bibs and bobs of what Australians are doing around the world. Uh, anything else you guys want to put on the table before we shut up shop? Not particularly. It, my phone's Crazy. been running hot, Blakey. Um, it just says oh, really? channel. It just says channel seven on it. That's all. I don't know what else, but I, I suspect it's the producers of um, Front Bar. Oh, they're they're onto me. Yeah, well, I, oh, they've been. They were inspired by you on Facebook Live. Standing. Just put them in touch with my manager. Yeah, yeah no yeah. worries. I'll do that as soon as we finish. <laughs> Clates, well played. I don't think you got us in any legal issues Hopefully at all not. today, yep. which was a remarkable achievement. Where I thought we were going. Thanks, mate. Nice work. <laughs> Good to have you back in, and we'll get you back. We are, in a few weeks' time, we will have that um, course ranking sort of special. Oh, okay, that'll be good. Good, so good. Ho- Hopefully, we get uh, Brendan James from Golf Australia Magazine and Steve Kuypert from Australian Golf yeah, Digest. That'll be interesting. Yeah, it should be great. So, we'll look forward to your input on that, Blakey. Thanks again for you coming off the bench and uh, saving saving Andy Mars bacon. No problem, Hazy. Enjoyed it. Thanks, and uh, for all here at Inside the Ropes, thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next week.